Hello and welcome back to Not A Perfect Parent, the podcast where we share the extraordinary wisdom of ordinary parents. Today I am absolutely thrilled to be speaking to Mary Lou. Mary Lou is mum to four children, three of whom are adults now, and she shares the joy and struggles of being a twice married mum of four and navigating the complexity of a step family. Mary Lou is a very experienced coach supporting women in business to dissolve blocks, find clarity and move closer to their goals. Hello, Mary Lou. Hi, Jess. How are you? Very well. And how are you? I'm good. Feeling quite emotional about doing this, but I'm good. Mm. (laughs) Well, welcome. You're very welcome to Not A Perfect Parent. I'm excited to be here. So let's start by telling us a little bit about your parenting journey, Molly. So I've got four kids. My youngest is um, just turned 14, a girl. And I've got two boys, uh, 21 and 23, and my eldest is 25. So with that gap, I've obviously had, um, well, obviously, I had two different husbands. So when the first three arrived, I was um, up in Siren Sister. Quite a, well, I say young parent, I was 28 but I was quite a late developer, so I felt quite young in myself. And uh, obviously, as I divorced my husband, I shouldn't have got married and didn't really love him, but still had three kids, which is another story because a lot of people go, how can you have three kids with someone you didn't love? But there we go, that's a whole marriage conversation. So when I had them, I had three kids under three and a half, which wow. was hard. I often see people in supermarkets. In fact, I went up to a lady the other day who I looked at her and was like, wow. I thought, actually, I did that. I had, you know, one in the papoose, one in the buggy, one on the buggy board. And she looked so calm, and but looked quite quietly stressed. And because I'm me, I went up to her in the car park. I said, I know this is really weird, but I was you. I just want to tell you, you're doing an amazing job. You look really calm and your kids, you know. And she looked at me and I thought she was going to go, you know, they go away, you'll be an idiot. And she went, thank you so much it's hard having little three little people under that age I had two of those well, I had my boys at home which I'm immensely proud of I had to fight to have them at home amazing birth experiences both and I divorced their father when the youngest was three and then met my uh, second husband six months later which was quite quick and then within two years of meeting him we moved from Devon uh, from Sorrentester to Devon Married a year later, and then we added Daisy, um, who's the 14-year-old, a year after that. So I think the gap was when she was born. I think Milo was nine. And that, and, I, and I lost her. I had a miscarriage before Daisy. And so when we moved to Devon, the kids were like, started rabbit in the headlights. And I remember my third, who's very independent, I think when Gordy told him off. And he went, you can't tell me off. And I went, actually, you can, because he's like part of the family now. And that was when that step family dynamic stepped in. Because before he'd been fun and just visiting and now we all live together. That's when it started to get tricky with my eldest, my daughter. She was 11. But Daisy coming along really helped. She kind of sealed that circle in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, because they used to call him Gordy. And I had her at home and they kind of arrived literally within minutes of me having her, which was quite shocking in the room. I still hadn't quite finished the process. And that really helped to bond us because they then started to see Gordy behave like a dad. He'd asked me on our second date, will you have another child? And I kind of went, well, never say never. 
but I thought I can't ask him to parent my kids without having that switch turned on in him. But when, so as Daisy grew up and then started to call him daddy, they then all started to call Gordy dad. So it really helped to soften that dynamic. And then in the meantime, my first husband, who'd been seeing the kids like twice a week in San Sister, I think, and it might be a sweeping statement to say, I, I see it too often to be comfortable. Men can tend to remove themselves from that family dynamic once they're divorced and feel a lack of connection. And he's, over the years, distanced himself more and more and more, despite me and Gordy sort of begging him. At one year, we actually invited him for Christmas, going, we'll do anything, you know, just ring them, email them. And he just took more and more of a step back. And I find that a real surprise because when I divorced him, I thought the one thing I can guarantee is he's a really decent guy, although I chose not to be married to him. And I know that will be fine. And it was totally the opposite. And so now he doesn't talk to the children. He chooses to not be a part of their life, which then totally changes that dynamic because in most step families you've got the birth father there um he's financially contributing which makes a massive difference we've got four kids you've got the children who are wanting their father to be proud of them you know they've got a relationship with them they, they want him in their lives and he's not giving that that's really hard and that changes also their relationship with the stepdad you know my husband the stepdad because then having to earn more and rather than support his own child he's not having to support you know four kids like that so all of that created difficulties not insurmountable but tensions that i think he wouldn't have had and that was all slightly exacerbated because a year after daisy was born my husband suffered a spinal stroke in neck surgery so as a result mm -hmm. he then lived with chronic pain so he was a stepdad which is really confusing he lived with chronic pain and he was financially having to work extra hard to provide for three children that weren't his. And that time took him away from his own daughter. So that created quite a lot of tension for him around that. Well, and I'm just, I'm thinking of you in kind of the midst of all this. You've spoken about a lot of different situations there that I'm sure a lot of people would be able to relate to. But I'm thinking of you in this kind of whirlwind of you navigating a divorce. You've got three very young children mm. who you then have to be with them while their biological father starts to move away from them. Meanwhile, there's settling into a new family with a stepfather and then you're becoming a mother again. So all of these things are affecting everybody, mm. but there's not one thing that isn't affecting you somehow. Mm. It was, um, it yeah really really tough 10 years in fact just before we got married my sister died as well from cancer and I remember at the end of this period feeling utterly defined by these really weighty things as a parent I found the leap from one to two the hardest just you know decide all the other factors mm. I found that really hard I remember crying on the floor of the playroom because my my eldest daughter used to kind of hit um, Jasper who was two years younger than her and it was like what have I done and it was overwhelming and then Milo came, got pregnant with him much sooner than I wanted and it's like, I can't cope with two, how can I cope with three? So you kind of had all those normal things. But divorcing their father was, I used to deem it as a, it was like a razor blade coming from the inside out. You've spent seven years 
building the bricks of your family and your home and you're the one that chooses to rip that home down I remember saying to myself at the time this whole process has broken a piece in me it's kind of taken 10% of me I don't think I'll ever recover I did took me a long time and it wasn't actually leaving him because I didn't love him I realized I didn't love him it was losing the family home losing that family dynamic I had kind of when my faith started because it's like what am I doing to my kids it was all about the kids what am I doing to the kids and I just had this quiet voice saying over and over again the kids will be fine the kids will be fine and it was that that kind of gave me the courage to go forward because my family disowned me as well I mean it was a lot just I had a really shitty years I can laugh about it now but my family were horrendous there was so much judgment so much judgment for leaving him and then he behaved really badly uh, we lived in the same house I decided in November he lived in the house in March he lived in the attic and he went slightly crazy he was a very mild-mannered man and he didn't know how to cope and he went a bit loopy and would burst into my room at four o'clock in the morning who's texting you really shocking and he took I think the first thing he did when I told him my decisions he took my phone and he took my bank cards so oh, I, I, I didn't have any access to money and I'm trying to feed the kids and everything. It was, yeah, he really lost his shit. But this kind of went on and on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And I remember saying to him, you are stopping me psychologically, physically, mentally, emotionally from looking after my children. You've got to stop. I don't think he meant to break me. He, it was like the only way he knew how to cope. His world was falling apart and he needed me rather than loved me. So I was breaking his world apart, you know, and I can't imagine what it was like for him, all that aside. I can only tell you my experience that as a parent it became, I was hanging on by my fingernails, mm. really, and he, he wasn't helping. And then also, you know, and I'm sure many a divorcee will understand this, when they have your kids and they drive away with your kids for the night, for the weekend, and you're left there in this big house in silence and I had to really learn to keep myself busy. It was funny, my, my youngest daughter goes away to school and I had to explain to her, I said, the reason I find it relatively easy is I learned a long time ago to box up my feelings about my kids because it was so painful seeing them drive away. I had to because it would just, again, it would break you. Mm-hmm. Also knowing he was taking them to his mother's and she was quite wicked. And that traumatised my kids quite a lot. And knowing I, knowing I wasn't there to soften that, I used to write them little notes that let's say they were away for three nights, that they would open at bath time. And my 25-year-old daughter still has them. She said they were a lifesaver mum. Wow. So it was so awful. Those notes made all the difference. And I just sent a little photograph saying, you know, hope you had a nice day and I love you loads. And what does Teddy think? And, you know, think little things just to keep that connection with them. They were just there. They were utterly separate from me you talk there about it wasn't about leaving him how hard it became it was about the loss of what you thought life would be like so what were your expectations when you became a mum I'm the youngest of five kids catholic family father worked she was a stay-at-home mum and I think she had that expectation for me in fact, I know she had that expectation mm-hmm. for me. I, I was raised to be a wife, not a, not a not an independent woman, not a working woman. I didn't have those role models. I married him to please her, really. And I had the big house, and it was reflective of what my mum had had. 
So breaking that broke my mum's expectation of me, which is why she didn't talk to me. My sister was saying, you have everything I want and you're throwing it away because she was single and unmarried and didn't have kids. So that expectation is I'm a wife and I'm a mother and I have the big house and I look after the family and that's it. She's very practical, but not emotional, my mum. She said to me when I was divorcing him, she said, your happiness is irrelevant. You have a duty and responsibility to your children and your husband. Wow. So that kind of sets the tone of what the expectation was. And uh, I had to go to my mum's priest and, and tell him this. And he, and he, <laughs> he said, do, do you mind if I get a cigarette out? He was so shocked. And he said, you have every right to be happy. If, if you need to leave your husband to do that, then, you know, you have God's blessing. Wow. Um, in all of this, as I said, I was quite a late developer emotionally and my kids are so worldly and I so wasn't. I, I didn't know who I was before I married. I didn't know who I was before I had kids. It's just what was expected of me. So I did it. So I think, so I was 35 when I got divorced. I think I was starting to discover who I was. So all those expectations, they weren't mine. I was holding everyone else's stuff. And it's like, actually, what do I want? So you're, so you're breaking your family home. You're listening to this tiny, tiny voice that's saying to you, your kids are going to be okay. And also you're nurturing, or I felt I was nurturing this flickering little flame inside of me of actually, you're important in this. And I remember saying, I need my kids to see me happy because I was aware that I was modelling my parents' marriage and he was modelling his, and I could see where it was going to go. So whilst I wasn't, and he said, oh, I don't beat you, I don't go to the pub, there's nothing wrong. It was like living with my brother, and he didn't take the responsibility for anything. He'd say, oh, don't do that, your mum will be cross. It was like, where are your boundaries? Where are your, how do you want to raise your children? What do you want to be, you know, it was all on me. And I thought, my kids need to have a better blueprint, even if that's me living on my own, being happy managing them they can't have this dysfunctional thing that they're seeing because they're just going to repeat it so I felt this huge responsibility to make this massive decision to tear my family apart where does the strength come from to do that when <sighs> you have obviously had a very strong voice telling you that that was the wrong thing I had a very strong and loud external voice telling me it was wrong but I was starting to listen to a very quiet, loving, insistent internal voice going, it's going to be okay. And I've kind of, I mean, call that what you will. I, I call it my faith, whether it's my conscience, whether it's my higher self, whether it's God, whether it's just me. And that's kind of my mainstay. And that's what got me through all of it. Gordy's pain, being a set family. We've had a lot of hard things, as you know, happen to us. You know, and if they ask me any question about any topic, I will answer. I will answer mm -hmm. age appropriately, but I'm, I'm always open to that. I'm aware that I'm raising many adults. I'm raising husbands. I'm raising wives. I'm raising future people, you know, who can have an impact on the world. And that's another phrase I say to my kids. Don't ever forget that one person can make a difference. And when have you felt like, despite all the amazing strength you've shown and all the things that you've achieved as a parent have there been times when you felt like not a perfect parent oh god yeah i suppose a, a couple of times when they were little uh, i remember sitting in a flower bed weeding i don't particularly like weeding 
and my kids were there and I don't know what one of them did I was kneeling down leaning back onto my heels and just screaming I was in a big garden I was you know surrounded by fields just with the frustration of I can't even fucking weed without my kids wanting me I can't even do something that I don't want to do that needs doing yeah that's sucking on your time I always think that kids are like they they stick a plug in you and they're sort of trickle of electricity constantly leaves you and it is an utter privilege to have that and a total honor but it's also fucking exhausting mm-hmm. um so that's one time i can think when they're little and going back to the step family thing gordy was a wonderful stepdad when the kids were younger and as the boys especially and gina who's my oldest she's a big personality it, i think it triggered in him wounds from his past they say that when your kids reach a certain age that was tricky for you it brings it back subconsciously so I know he really struggled around um 16 17 18 so when my boys hit that age he came at it with the most loving and best intention it just didn't play out that way I'm going to try and give you what I didn't get from my dad but he didn't balance that. So it came with a lot of, you should be doing this. There was a lot of judgment, a lot of harshness, a lot of resentment and disappointment in them, which for me was palpable and heartbreaking. And I used to try and say to him, that's great. And they can be quite this and they can be that. And you do have a point, but can you balance it? Can you also tell them how well they're doing and how you love them? I said, it's your seesaws the wrong way. So we had for about four or five years this dynamic and as the boys got older and they got bigger and at times it would become nose to nose shouting matches and I got one son who's very independent and one who's very sensitive and the sensitive one it would break him and he'd cry I mean heartbreaking heartbreaking to watch and you're caught in this really tricky situation you're in a relationship with someone that you love who's really challenged because they're in pain all the time. A challenge because being a stepdad's really hard. And then that resentment of doing a really physical job whilst in pain, having to earn money because their dad's fucked off. You know, so it's quite complex. And you're trying to respect that and you're trying to respect them as an individual and support them, which you need to do as a parent. You know, your dad's right kind of thing. You can't start taking sides was also watching him tear into your kids who you love deeply. And they kind of need to learn probably about 10% of what he's saying and trying to quietly go in going, God, he's, he's kind of right, but he's not quite going about it the right way. And so you're trying not to be disloyal, but you're trying to love them going, do I have to choose here? Do I have to choose to say this man that I love who is not displaying his best self? And I can see why, I understand from a higher perspective why he's not doing that. Do I choose to stay with him and watch my kids go through this? Or do I choose to walk away from that because I can see that it's damaging my kids? Possibly not permanently, you don't know what the damage is. And I had that, especially in lockdown, that was the last one. So when I say got a perfect parent, kind of over and over and over again, and it got to the point where I was desperate for my kids to leave because I knew it, I wouldn't be put in that position. Because I thought, you're going to go and have beautiful lives. But this is a man that I do love, despite all his faults. 
who I want to stay with. And, and once you go, I won't be put in this position anymore. And I don't know how awful that sounds to someone else. I, I haven't verbalised that much. My eldest son, who is very thoughtful and he's very interested in how people think and work, we've had long conversations about it. And he says, I see it now, Mum. I see it. I see that's why he was there. And he's really worked his way around that. Yeah, it's really informed him as a, as a human being at what cost. I think they probably took drugs they shouldn't have done they drank more than they should have done to salve those wounds you know I think we all come with shit but I was watching the shit manifest in real time so yeah that's quite a big one for me and it's you saying the oh how bad that sounds it's such a myth isn't it in parenthood that feelings aren't complex and that we don't have our own needs actually and that that's really hard for me in this situation and it feels like as a parent, maybe as a mother, we're not allowed to feel those complex things in mm. such difficulty. I mean, I just mm. can't imagine looking at somebody else or you looking at somebody else and thinking they should just be finding that easy or not mm. wanting that situation to end and stop. But mm. there's a silence, like you say, I've not verbalised that. And that might be because the situation never arose. But sometimes it's because we don't feel safe to, to have those mm. feelings. Because from the outside, everyone seems to have it sorted. I think any situation, it's never binary, is it? It's so complex. There are so many facets to that. And I was cross with their father for, for you know, their birth father for not being there. I, I think it did get to the point when, when I said to Gordy, you know, this isn't actually about what you need. I'm telling you now what I need is I need you to do this because I'm finding this really hard. I don't think I quite said, I've got these two choices that I can make, but I kind of intimated it. So I did get to the point where I said, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. You either need to leave the house temporarily or take a break or do that because I can't watch this. I can't watch this dynamic play out. I was the mediator for so many years and it's a really shitty place to be because you love them both. As you put yourself in the middle, you're absorbing all these emotions that are flying around the anger, resentment, the pain. Let's say I'm just with Gordy. He'll tell me how he feels about the children in a very emphatic way because he's cross at them, but I'm absorbing all this anger. And then I'd have to go and talk to my children and, and change that way it was presented and go, actually, this is where he's at and this is what he needs and, and where are you? And then I'd do it in reverse. And it would ping pong. I was like that um, original video game where you had this line and you were ping ponging this ball off the walls. I was like that. I was the bat that was getting ping ponged from both sides. And it was utterly exhausting and utterly draining. And yeah, it was a really shitty, shitty place to be. And that was the place that was going to my sons in my head. Can you just go? Because then I don't have to be put in this position. I don't have to see you wounded. I don't have to see him being so triggered. I don't have to be in the middle. Yeah, shitty. Yeah. What are some of the things you've learned? I think the overarching theme is the emotional intensity of doing it. Being a parent is my deepest pride in everything from birthing them. Hugely proud of, of birthing them at home. And that and it was so empowering. And who they've come and the joy they bring me. And there's so many huge, huge emotions around my kids. But also, conversely, they're my Achilles heel. 
and then my deepest wounds having to watch them being hurt and struggle both with their birth father and their stepfather having to make decisions for my daughters for their education to watch them go through health challenges and so I think I suppose I've also learned despite all these things all the things that the kids have been through they're they're incredible they're it's like being surrounded by amazons they're strong they're free critical thinkers they impress me so deeply in who they've become and there is a small amount of pride I said this to my husband day he said you can't say that I said I'm immensely proud of the job I've done with my kids but you can't say that I went, yeah I can because I've just again despite the imperfect foundation and platform on which they were raised I've been part of who they've become but, and that's the one thing I've learned is you are raising independent adults that whole thing of you know they're flying and they're not part of you and you're just birthing them but you're their role model you're their blueprint good and bad being resilient and you know they get that from you and that's not to say you can't do any of the bad stuff because I think actually they learn as much from watching you fail and getting up going yeah okay right dust myself off let's go again we all take it on it's the environment they're in they, they just suck it all up like sponges I think the other the other point which I found really true for me so I presume it's true for others is you're only ever as happy as your unhappiest child so when I talk about my my deepest wounds is when you have a child who is unhappy like when we left my daughter at school or your daughter's being diagnosed with cancer or your sons are being shouted at by their stepdad you can't and it's a absolute bummer of being a mother you can't not feel that you can't turn that off it's always quietly there even if you've won a million pounds or you're watching your favorite concert or you're having an amazing meal knowing that one of your kids is unhappy it's that trickle charge it it just it's that bitch of being a mum. you feel it and you can't let that go and it is a I mean that's such an honor to have that to be so part of someone's life energetically in whichever way but it's um total loss of emotional independence as well because you can't control that and what's your experience of having four children and you said that when daisy came along it kind of closed that circle mm. four big personalities <laughs> As a mum, what's your involvement in kind of fostering that connection between them? Or is that something that's organic? No, I made a deliberate choice. As a young as youngest of five, my husband used to always think of me and my siblings. He said, you're all like puppies fighting all the time. And my parents never stopped that. They would divide. Apparently that's quite common in, in families with a lot of children. I think if all the kids got on and kind of, as it were, Lord of the Flies turned on the parent, that doesn't work. So subconsciously, it's like, oh, your sister's a selfish one, your brother does this. So I was never really close to my siblings, which I think is awful. You know, well, they've got to learn that life is tough. It's like, no, family is the one place where you can turn to and not be okay. So I've always said to my kids, you're always going to have each other. When, you, when you've got a girlfriend, when you pass a driving test, when you get married, when you get divorced, when you get a job, your sibling is the one that's going to always be there. So I've 
really pushed that to be close. You know, family loyalty. When you're at school, you date just your brother. Family comes first. It doesn't always play out, but that was the narrative I tried to bring in. Um, when the youngest, when I just had the three, it was quite it was quite handy having three because if two fell out, they always had another one to go to. Which I, so I don't know what it's like having two in that sense. If they fall out and there's like this sort of silence in the house or this energy of uh, tension. It's a lot. And, I, and I'd be fascinated to know if I could live four different lifetimes, if I could raise them all as individuals, who they'd be without that sibling rivalry. Because there is a part of you that is heartbroken when they have to share you. And I think all any child wants is you to themselves. And you can't really give them that all the time, especially when you've got four. So it's having to try and carve out that time. And, and they're all so different. You can't parent the same. You have to take into consideration those different sensibilities and sensitivities and, and interests. So that's quite hard to remember when, it's, when parenting can be so automatic. Oh, I can't talk to that one that, like that because that, that triggers them or what they need is me to say this. You have to be on your toes a lot. <laughs> exhausting <laughs> tell you what I really love my kids but I'm so so grateful they're not small anymore really. <laughs> I'm so grateful when I see people this week like little kids I think oh that's lovely but thank fuck that's lovely <laughs> <laughs> which is really interesting actually because I I speak my kids are tiny and I speak to a lot of people whose kids are grown to be honest it's quite refreshing to me because there's this nostalgia it's amazing oh don't wish it away enjoy every single second and sometimes you're not <laughs> no. so, there is a part of me there I speak especially when I see mums with little boys earnest little three or four year olds who are into everything and love their lego fiercely and that's so endearing and my heart just swells when I see that and it's just that remembrance of, of how keen they are I mean boys are in a way much easier than girls I always think you know and it's I think when do I stop having children and do I or, or growing my family do I still feel maternal and, and I, there was definite time for me um when it was like yeah no more for me and I think it's when so Daisy went to school when she was, she went away to boarding school when she was 11. And I was really split then. As I say, I was an absolute broke me when she went. But there was another part of me went, thank you. Now it's my time. Because by that stage, I'd been parenting for 21, 22 years. This is a thing, we have a second family. Because Gordy was going, oh, we'll have a fourth child and it'll be fine. And I'm thinking but my third can just put a seatbelt on and, I, and I'm getting to the point where I can smell and taste a little bit more independence. And he sort of sucked me back into that vortex of being a mum. And I willingly and lovingly went there, but I was aware because I kept saying, it's going to be really hard. I went, no, no, it'll be fine, says he, never had kids. And it was hard having to go back to doing it all over again. I mean, she was absolutely worth it in every way. So when it got to that point, when I had the sniff of freedom, I thought I'm running to that with both hands. And I'm, mm. you know, I miss her and I love her and, you know, would love to have her here. But a large part of me goes, oh, I have earned my stripes. It is now my time to work and focus on me. Because I don't think I'm necessarily a natural mother. I'm not so soft and warm and fuzzy. You know, I love my kids fiercely, but there's always been a part of me that with that self-sacrifice has come a, a little piece of resentment 
of having to do that. Again, I lovingly, willingly did it and it's a privilege, but I'd be lying if I said, but what about me? Because it took a lot. It took a lot of me to do that. I didn't lose part of me. I gained a thousandfold of what I lost. I've learned so much from all of it. I'm the person I am because of it. But it's really bruising and emotionally exhausting being a mum. You know, and, I'm, and I had days when I was 40. I'm 54 now. I'm tired. I'm tired of doing it. Well, it was fine when I was in my early 30s running around doing teas and doing that. But yeah, no, quite life for me. But I love that because I've got really small kids and it's not the done thing in circles of women with really small kids to go, I don't find it easy to be with my kids, my toddlers, day in and day out for weeks on end. I know that some people want nothing else mm. and get all of their joy out of it. I work, I would feel a real hole in my life if I didn't. Other people are different. When you have young kids and somebody says something that isn't one of the done things, you can breathe out. That's what Not Perfect Parent is really all about because you've talked about the expectation of what a mother is and how you had to pick up the pieces of their father not not fulfilling his role. And there's nothing to do, is there? You're their mother, you're there, you do it. It seems strange that you would ever not have permission to say, I matter too. Uh, am I supposed to not because I have the label of mother? I, I was never shy of saying that to my kids. I think I got to the point I need to create this space. I think I probably said it quite emphatically. Mummy has a need <laughs> to go and sit down. But I think it's really important that you teach your kids that you're not there 100% of the time. I think it's healthy to say to them, I love you, but actually I'm just going to take a moment or I need to sit down, do this work or read this book or talk to this person. You're my everything, but you don't get everything from me all the time. If you don't create that space or take that time for who you need to be, whether it be a working woman or a sporty woman or a cooking woman, no one's going to give you that time. So if you don't take that, that's on you. And I think also it's recognising I had no need when my kids were young because I didn't know who I was. I, I didn't. I worked begrudgingly in my early 20s. My husband was financially secure, so I didn't need to work. Part of that frustration, actually, looking back on it, is I needed more. I didn't know what that more was. I didn't know my strengths, my interests. I didn't know how to be a, a fuller, more rounder person. You obviously do know that. You know that you need work. You need to tick that box. And I think that's really healthy if you can arrange your the, the practicality of, the, of that around your need. Because otherwise it, it just it'll suck you dry. And then what are you teaching your kids? That's it, yeah. But then there's the shame of every now and again I come against this expectation of, well, you're supposed to be giving them everything. But it's that expectation of what does love look like? What does mothering look like? I mean, my all my kids have earned that. They've never had pocket money, and that sounds an awful thing to say. They've all earned from when they were 13, 14. Local post office, sandwich places. They've done, you know, they're amazing. Little, little entrepreneurs. <laughs> but it was the need to learn the value of money and at the time, we couldn't really afford to give them pocket money. Mm. Um, they need to learn the value of money and they need to learn the value of hard work. And so there was my daughter doing all these things. I remember saying to her at 16, when she has friends and the parents are bringing them breakfast and they're making their packed lunch. And I said, have I done you a disservice of, you know, sending you out to work? I sound like some kind of 
um, Dickens novel. And she went, no, mum, I love it because I'm independent. I have this money. I get to choose how I spend it. I meet really interesting people. She's really hard working, my eldest. The boys have always paid for all their surfboards and their wetsuits, which cost hundreds of pounds. I've never had to buy them. So they know if they get dinged, they look after them. You know, the whole narrative that goes with that. And when my daughter and I had a falling out when she was 18 and I asked her to leave temporarily because it was too hard for everyone else and hard for her and it's a much bigger story I had a lot of judgment because I wasn't I wasn't prepared to compromise everything for her I think love at times can be very enabling for the other person you over care you over love and it's lovely in a way and beautiful and soft and round but it's not serving the child I think when you when you say no to a child or I hear you, but we can't or the working or here are my boundaries or, you know, all of that, you're raising an, a person, you're raising an adult. And if they don't learn where boundaries are, those expectations are, they're going to go out into the world and fail because they're going to have an expectation of being looked after, of life being easy. You know, life isn't easy. And it's not that I choose a hard life for my kids. And by God, I've tried to soften the edges for them. But you can't love them unconditionally. A huge cost to you and a disservice to them. And that's hard when you want to give them everything, when you want their life to be soft and cushy and warm. Do that at a cost. There's no, there's no ultimate value. It might make you feel better short term, but there's no value in it in long term. It's just as you were saying, isn't it? Your heart breaks when their heart breaks but we never we're never going to walk through life without being bruised mm. so I suppose what I try and think of and hope I can carry it as you have into their adulthood is I can't stop them from being hurt but I want to give them the tools that when they get hurt and I'm not there that they can patch it up mm. Mm having to recognise, am I doing this for me? Am I doing this for them? You know, what, what, ser- what purpose does it serve? But I think ultimately, and I think you and I see in our work, ultimately I think the role of being a parent is to make your children feel safe above mm. everything else. Mm. Now, even when I fell out with my daughter, because she's feisty as, I still created a safety within that. It's like, I love you. I can't accept this behaviour. And when you come back and you're respectful and kind, I'm here. I still love you, but, I, but you've crossed a line. So I had to make a call. But the, the safety was still there. She had to choose whether she wanted it. Mm, parenting feels like a process of letting go, doesn't it, over, over years? When they, get, when they get older, I think they say that, that God makes teenagers tricky because otherwise you'd never kick them out. I know, especially with my first and my third very big personalities and I used to say it's like they're spreading their wings and asserting themselves hugely within a family dynamic but their wings are so huge they're knocking everyone else over mm. and so there comes a time when you're hugely relieved that they that they go and they need to go to be who they are you can't accommodate that many personalities in a family you know their politics whatever it is you hold your breath whilst they go out into the world and they either go into uni or they're living in caravans or they're doing all these things and you have no say over what they do. 17, 18, 
you can no longer go, I'm going to take your phone away. I'm going to do all these things. They're driving. They're basically doing what they want. You know they're smoking pot when they shouldn't be. And I'd say to them, and now I'm not going to tell you not to because I know it will make no difference at all. But for, for, the, for my two penneth, here's my input. You know, and I'd have open conversations about why they did it. So things like that, when you lose that control and they're still not really refined adults in any shape or form, but they don't give two figs what you think. And I said the other day, I'm amazed that my boys are still here because they, there's that period where they're wayward and then they come out the other side and think, oh my God, thank goodness, thank goodness. They're still talking to me. They still come home. They still ring me. I can now have a laugh with them. They're, no, they're more mates than, well, they're obviously still my kids, but the, the energy changes and that's beautiful to come out the other side. And, and that's why I think I feel so emotional about my kids at the moment is the gratitude I have and the immense pride in who they are and for having that relationship with them. It's like, yeah, we rode that storm. We did that. We did it together. There are still storms to come, but it's like, it's almost like the toughest bit has happened because now they're adults in their own right. Mm. And what would be your bit of wisdom, your takeaway <laughs> that other parents need to hear oh. out of all the many things you've said? It's going to be okay. Mm. And actually, it wasn't. It wasn't okay. Or maybe it's you're, you're going to be okay through all of it because you make it okay. It is that thing of I am who I am because of all of this. It's one of the reasons I love working with women in my work. I have such immense pride and amazement. I think women are incredible. Give us anything and we'll surmount it. And, I, and maybe it's that. It's like, you've got this. You may not know you've got this, but you've got this. Because everything that's put on your plate, you will step up and you will stare it in the face and you will find a way around it. And at times, by God, it doesn't feel it. But it's just putting one step in front of the other. Because I think we have this huge capacity that we don't give ourselves credit for in what we deal with. And the roles we play as daughters, as sisters, as wives, as mothers, as individuals, as friends, I think we only see an nth of what we're capable of. I just think we're incredible. Well, you're incredible, Marilou. Thank you for sharing <laughs> your amazing wisdom. And this is part of what um, what we're doing here, really, because I just think we have so much to learn from each other. And because there's all these expectations that we should already know, it discourages us from having these real conversations. And not everybody is prepared to kind of meet it with your honesty and be raw about these things that as you say are so heavy so defining I think the more we share every time the miscarriage or falling out with my daughter there was always a story from someone of having similar mm. it's really hard isn't it because you don't want to get judged and some people don't want to be vulnerable mm. it's bad enough life what, what life does to you but when you've got a family you're getting that two three four times it's just life and you're having to, as a mother, hold all of that. So it's knowing that it happens and sharing and leaning and not judging. So important not to judge. I was judged for a lot of decisions I've made in my life. And you can never, as a real Brenny Brown quote, only judge me if you're in the same arena. 
Mm. If you can, if you know exactly what's going on and you can see all sides, then you're allowed an opinion. But kind of, unless you're in my shoes, you're just not entitled to one because mm. you don't know what it feels like. And there are so many aspects at play. It's just, you know, respect, love and kindness, isn't it? It's all you can mm. show to people and to yourself. Yeah, importantly. Marilou, thank you so much for talking to us. It's been such a pleasure. <laughs> it's awesome, isn't it? What a, what a dive. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real honour and a privilege. Thank you, Jess, for inviting me. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Not A Perfect Parent. Come back again next week for the extraordinary wisdom of another ordinary parent. And if you've got a story to share, and don't we all, get in touch.